Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. So the problem with unrealistic goals is that we get discouraged. If we perceive that the, the goal is completely unrealistic, then we give up and we work much less than if we uh, set a more realistic uh, but motivating goal. So the, the risk is that we'll just say, ah, that's never going to happen, and therefore I should do absolutely nothing about it. Dr. Ayelet Fishbach is a professor of behavioral science at the University of Chicago and is the author of the best-selling book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. She spent decades studying how we can get better at not only setting the right goals for ourselves, but also sticking with them. One of her strategies is to think carefully about what we reward ourselves for when we're trying to reach a goal. Often we reward what is uh, easy to measure, okay? So we might reward ourselves for how many hours we set in front of our computer, but not really on whether we were productive, whether we we did work that gets us uh, somewhere. Uh, maybe we were just uh, answering emails and kind of killing time, but we did work for many hours, but really, we should care more about the quality. On today's show, we learn about the science of motivation so that we can set smarter goals and actually reach them. I'm Maya Shankar, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show about who we are and who we become in the face of a big change. I've known Ayelet since I was a postdoc studying the science of decision-making, and her research has had a big personal impact on me. I was eager to have her on the show because motivation is a key ingredient in successfully changing our lives. And her science-based strategies can help us think differently about how we set goals and how we ought to pursue them. So let's start with the basics. How should we define our goals? 
you talk about traps that we can fall into when it comes to setting our goals. And one of those is when we unintentionally define our goals to feel more like chores than like aspirations. Yes. Uh, chores are the things that we need to do so that we can uh, achieve our goals. And often we define the goal in terms of the chore. So we might, uh, for example, uh, define our goal in terms of applying for a job in instead of getting a job, instead of uh, having a career. Uh, applying for a job for most people is no fun. Uh, not going on a date, okay, for many people, that's not really fun. That's a chore, okay? The, the goal is to find someone. The, the goal is to start a relationship. And so defining the, the goal on the level that is exciting, that identifies what you want to achieve is important. Don't make it too abstract. A, a goal that doesn't have any action that is connected to it. If someone says my goal is to be happy and they cannot name the actions that will make them happy, then this is not useful either. But there is this like sweet spot between something that is exciting that defines where you want to be and not necessarily what you need to do in order to get there, but is nevertheless connected to, to these actions. And where is that sweet spot exactly? It depends on many factors, but there are two different types of questions you can ask yourself that will pull you in different directions and help you find that balance. Why questions and how questions. So, to uh, get yourself to think more abstractly about your goals, you need to ask uh, uh, many why questions. Okay? Like, I, I, I want to uh, uh, sign up for a gym membership. Why? Because okay? I uh, want to uh, start uh, running. Uh, why? Because okay? I, I want to be healthier and, and so on. And every why question makes you a bit more abstract. Now, stop with the why on the level where it's no longer really connected to action, okay? So when you ask people why and why and why, eventually they, they give you something very I, general. Because I exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? exactly. Because I must fill the time that I have on this earth. <laughs> yes, and, and that's uh, uh, not useful at this yeah. point. Okay, uh, and if you feel that you are already up there in the sky and this is not really useful, then you ask the how questions like, you know, I want to be happy. Like, how? Okay, well, you know, I want to have a relationship. Well, you know, how? Well, I, I'm going to uh, start meeting more people. Well, how? I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, call my friend who uh, knows many people and so on. Ayelet's research shows that the way we frame our goals can have a big impact on motivation. There are what she calls approach goals or do goals. For example, I want to eat healthier foods or I want to excel at my job, which are all about striving towards a good outcome. And then there are avoidance goals or do not goals, like I do not want to get sick or I want to avoid getting fired, which are all about trying to avoid a bad outcome. And Ayelet says that whether we frame things in one way versus the other can sometimes just depend on the kind of person we are. Is there a question we can ask ourselves to figure out if we are more approach versus avoidance oriented? Uh, you can ask uh, what drives you uh, uh, in life. Uh, are you uh, uh, the kind of person that is uh, worried about doing the wrong thing? Okay, that is uh, a concern about... Uh, 
trying out something that doesn't work? Uh, are you concerned about messing up? Uh, I'm going back to dating because I, I think this actually illustrates this really well. Like when you think about finding someone in your life, are you thinking about approaching relationship or are you thinking about avoiding being lonely? Okay, how how What feels right to you in your mind when you uh, think about this call? Uh, by the way, there was really a nice research showing that when people feel that they have power, the same goal will come to their mind more in terms of approaching than avoiding. Can you give me an example of what, what you mean by having power? Uh, think about the work when you are meeting with uh, uh, your uh, employee versus your boss, okay? And often that changes like, in, in a matter of just, you know... Uh, A few minutes okay in, in one meeting you are the person in power you are the the big boss and I don't know Maya maybe you're always the big boss but I am not <laughs> okay so I'm, I'm not either <laughs> okay so then you go to another meeting and you are uh, uh, you know the the person that, that sits there quietly uh, and everybody else has more uh, power and in the first situation when you are the boss you you are more likely to think about your work in terms of opportunities. And in the second setting, you're more likely to think about your job in terms of maybe opportunities to mess up. Okay? <laughs> How do I not say the wrong thing? Okay? As, as opposed to uh, what can I say that might be uh, useful, that might move this forward? Mm. So, so you've said that we, just to summarize, you've said that... Um, That there can be these different environments that invoke our do goals and then other environments that invoke our do not goals. And then in addition to that, there are individual differences that can lean us towards one direction or the other. Um, what would you recommend that we go with as, as a default option as we're, as we're going about our daily lives? And I'm, you know, I've just read your book. I've just listened to this podcast and I'm like, you know, I might have these proclivities, but maybe I should be reframing my goal in a certain way. Approach goals, do goals are better than do not. The reason is because uh, avoidance goals tend to be chores and approach goals tend to be fun and exciting and often uh, more intrinsically uh, motivating. Uh, and so unless you really you need to protect your life, you need to do something to just making sure that you are safe in, in the short term, in which case avoidance framing fits, use approach. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's also important to note that our emotional responses to failure can be different when we framed our goals in terms of approach versus avoidant, right? So when we achieve something that we're approaching, we can be filled with feelings of pride um, and accomplishment and fulfillment. When we, when we achieve a do not goal, right? Um, or I don't even know it's a, if you can call it achieving a do not goal. It kind of sounds a little bit odd, but when we, when we, um, We don't have the thing happen to us, right? Uh, we feel feelings of relief and calm and, and relaxation, like, oh, you know, the, the swiping of the forehead, right? Like, phew, thank God that didn't happen. When you are trying to avoid something and you're successfully avoiding it, then you are, in a way, satisfied that you don't have the negative experience that you would have had. If you could not avoid it, okay, so it, it's the absence of negative. Basically, in pursuit of avoidance goals, often there is either negative if you fail or the absence of negative, which is if you are successful. With a bit of, you know, th this relief that luckily I, I am not feeling horrible, okay? 
Yeah, and it's also striking me right now that it's really hard to measure the absence of an activity and absence of an action, right? So a lot of times when you frame something in terms of avoidance, are you really keeping track of every time you avoided the chocolate cake, every time you avoided, you know, the tempting option? That's just hard to measure, right? And so it can feel less motivating because you just have less signal about how much progress you're making. There's less to, to hold on to. That's why, for example, I'm such a bad, I'm always, I'm always telling everyone in my life, um, you could probably glean this about me, but I'm a super action oriented person. And so when the action item is to like wait or abstain from things, I really struggle. That's, that's my weak point. You're not the only one. Okay. When you're trying <laughs> to avoid something, you're constantly checking whether you're avoiding it and by that, bringing it back to mind. Mm, yeah. Um, when it comes to setting our goals, one topic that, I loved reading about in your book was about the importance of who is setting the goal. And, and the reason that's particularly consonant with this show, A Slight Change of Plans, is that we're often talking about the role of agency, right, in, in making choices and projecting things about the future and, and uh, reflecting back on how our changes have affected us. And, and you say that when we own our own targets, right, we're, we're way better at executing on them and, and we're more likely to stay motivated. And I just, I mean, I guess I just love the research on agency in general because <laughs> it, it just reinforces how much we love being the driver's seat, you know, metaphorically. Uh, and then when we own that process, we're more likely to stay the course. Yes, absolutely. And we know that for many years that people really need to have control over their lives and, and need to feel that they are in a, a control when, when negative outcomes happen. And we all have negative outcomes. When you feel that it's outside of your control, that just the, the world is, is cruel and it's nothing to do with how you, you behave, this is much more problematic than when you experience that you do have control and nevertheless had the same uh, negative uh, outcomes. Uh, on top of it, when other people uh, set the, the goal for you, uh, that brings reactance. Then you, you know, you feel like they are controlling you. You, you want to argue uh, with them. You resent them for demanding uh, certain things from you and, and Owning your goals is not just good for you psychologically. It also helps achieving these goals. Okay? You are less <laughs> likely to have these two minds. Okay? Yeah, I will do this, Maya, because you asked me, but I also resent the fact that you asked me, and so I'm not going to do my best. Yeah. And, and I like the idea, you know, obviously a lot of us don't get to control all of the the goals that are set for us, right? We have jobs, we have responsibilities. Um, as you mentioned in your book, we, we might be working with a coach of some sort. But what you've recommended is that at a minimum, that person might be able to give us a set of options from which to choose, right? So if you're working with a personal trainer, let's say they can give you, okay, you can do, you know, the Stairmaster or the elliptical, or we can lift weights, right? And and it's just the idea of, okay, here's the option set that I know will help you thrive, but you can still choose choose among those options. Yes. Yeah. Ask for options. Okay? Ask for alternative ways to uh, pursue your goals so that you, you do get some uh, uh, sense of control. Yeah. It's making me think that I should um, tell my husband, Jimmy, in the future, okay, Jimmy, here's the option set. Unloading the dishwasher, loading the dishwasher, <laughs> taking out the trash. Your choice, buddy. But one of these is going to be accompanied with more motivation. I love it. See? You're, you're helping on motivation. You're helping, you know, marital relationships. This is fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, we, we didn't even get to a relationship yet. Yeah, yeah we haven't yeah. gone there yet. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to wrap up 
this part of the conversation where we're talking about how to better set goals um, with my favorite recommendation from you, which is to make sure that we're setting our goals when we're in a similar psychological and physiological state as the one we'll, we'll be in ultimately when we are actually striving for that goal. Um, and I mean, this is just, this is such smart advice because of course our aspirational selves can, can race away from us and say, oh yeah, I can totally imagine eating salad for every single meal or, you know, in work, adopting a totally new set of habits. But what you said is, no, actually, to have a little bit of a temperature check and to ground your goals in reality, make sure that you're actually at work when you're setting those goals. Or if you're thinking about healthier eating, make the goals when you aren't totally full. And it's easy to say that you're always going to be able to eat the healthier option versus, you know, the unhealthy one. Yeah, well, you summarized it beautifully. So one reason for this is the empathy uh, gap is our tendency not to be very empathetic to our future selves. And and so, uh, you know, when we plan our uh, uh, career transition, uh, we we think that this future person that we are going to be uh, is going to wake up at 6 a.m., start working <laughs> at 7 a.m., right, and, and work until they uh, get dinner and go to sleep. And so that person is going to accomplish a lot. Uh, the, the problem is that that person is going to be us, and so that person will be bored or tired and, and everything else. And, and the empathy gap is just very hard to overcome. If you set your goals when you're in a similar state, that helps you being more empathetic to, to this person that will have to follow through with the goals. Mm. And And the danger lies in... If you don't do this and setting unreasonable goals and then basically jumping ship uh, when you when you find that it's it's not even within the realm of of, uh, you know, practical life to be able to do those things. Right. So the problem with unrealistic goals is that we get discouraged. Like Usually we don't really care about the specific target that we set. We care about setting a goal so that we are motivated. Right. So that we want to, to work hard. But if we perceive that the the goal is completely unrealistic, then we give up and we work much less than if we uh, set a more realistic uh, but motivating goal. So the, the, the risk is that we'll just say, ah, that's never going to happen and therefore I should do absolutely nothing about it. After the break, Ayelet will share how we can use science-based strategies to sustain our motivation as we make progress towards our goals. We'll be right back with a slight change of plans. Sometimes trusting your gut doesn't work. Like when you end up late because you think the line at the coffee shop doesn't look too long. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions. But if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement I love called Symbiotic Plus. It includes clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. All kinds of things can mess with your gut on a daily basis, like stress, travel, and food choices. I take Symbiotic Plus from Ritual every morning to help my gut microbiome. The delayed release is designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract, and I appreciate that it's in just one minty capsule, no refrigeration needed. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 20% off. 
Did you know that an estimated 5 billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year? And if that's not bad enough, most of these cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy to ship and leads to excessive carbon emissions. Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. I love that I can just fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blueland tablets, and start cleaning. Blueland is a staple in my home because I find their products super clean and effective. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. Blueland has a special offer for listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash slight. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash slight for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash slight to get 15% off. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So you've taught us a lot about how we can better set our goals. And now I'd love to talk about how we can sustain our motivation to make progress on those goals. And the first step in doing this is just to get your foot in the door, period, right? To begin the activity. And you've talked about how important that first step is because it can lead to, you know, almost a disproportionate impact on on motivation in the longer term. Do you mind sharing more about that? The difference between zero and one steps is is huge. Uh, and that means that people are usually very enthusiastic when they, they start something. And we can help ourselves maintain this commitment or, you know, help others uh, stay committed by looking back, okay, by notice that we already took the first step. Okay, so taking that first step can give us the boost we need to stay in the game. It signals to our brains that we care about the goal and that we've taken at least one step towards achieving it. But there's an additional challenge that lies ahead. Research shows we often have trouble sustaining this motivation as we pursue our goals. Our motivation often flags as we approach the halfway point, what Ayelet calls the middle problem. You have high motivation at the beginning okay, and high motivation at the end, uh, but uh, then there is uh, the middle, and the middle is when uh, your motivation is, is usually uh, lower, both in terms of doing the thing and also in terms of doing it right. Okay, so we see that people are less likely to engage, but they're also going to relax their performance standards. People are not going to do such a good job. Okay, 
we did a study uh, in, in which we gave people a bunch of uh, shapes on like a piece of paper and they had to cut them uh, with just a pair of scissors and like the first shape they cut well, the last shape they cut well. In the middle, they were literally cutting corners. They <laughs> I love that. So they, they were literally relaxing their performance standards. Uh, you know, studies on cheating, they found that, uh, um, you know, if people ever cheat, they are uh, not going to do this on the first time. Okay, They are mm. going to do it more uh, toward uh, uh, the middle. And so we, we work less hard in the middle. Uh, we also don't do such a great job. So what can we do to address this dreaded middle problem? <laughs> Since we can't necessarily short. get rid of middles. Yeah, they still they, exist, yeah. No middles. No, we, well, we, <laughs> we need to have middles, and uh, but we can keep them short. Okay? The, uh, an annual goal uh, might be a monthly goal. So in, instead of saving uh, money uh, this year, think about saving money this month. An exercising goal could be a weekly exercising goal. And if you... If you, Maya, have a uh, weekly exercising goal, I'm pretty sure that you will have another weekly exercising goal next week, right? Like it, you're not going to really get to the end of this goal. Uh, but by defining it more narrowly, by setting sub-goals, we can fight these middles. We can also remind ourselves that uh, our identity is uh, at stake, a, a more a identity reminders, thinking that whatever we do reflect on who we are as a person mm. uh, is, uh, is helping us uh, do a good job. Is there an example, Ayelet, of, of you, you know, shortening the middle or reframing things in your life to try to get around the middle problem? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I do try uh, not to uh, think about the full time in which I will <laughs> pursue a goal. So every research project, like, it, it takes years, but I, I really try to think about what I'm going to do uh, this quarter. So the middle is, is really short, and every uh, quarter we start in, in my lab by just uh, telling each other what our what are the goals that we are going to pursue uh, for, for this period of time and what needs to be completed? Um, okay, so when it comes to when it comes to sustaining our motivation, an obvious and natural place for us to to dive in is to talk about um, one driver of motivation, which is incentives, right? Yes, I think about incentives as many goals. Okay, uh, what we find is that it's really critical to incentivize the right thing. Okay, so mm. not a proxy, not something that is just easy to to measure. Uh, but uh, do you, do you mind yeah. giving us an ex an example of what it means to reward the quote right thing? Um, yes. Uh, uh, what does it mean to reward the right thing? Uh, uh, often we reward what is uh, easy to measure, okay? So we might reward ourselves for how many hours we set in front of our computer, but not really on whether we were productive, whether we we did work that gets us uh, somewhere. Uh, maybe we were just uh, answering emails and kind of killing time, but we did work for many hours. When we incentivize others, uh, we, we sometimes uh, incentivize them for uh, doing things very quickly, but really we should care more about the quality. Another piece of advice Ayelet has when it comes to staying motivated is to sometimes turn to ourselves for advice. In a study Ayelet ran, she identified people who were struggling to achieve a specific goal. 
They were then asked to share their own advice for how to reach that goal, or they were given advice from an expert. And then researchers measured how these two different sources of advice affected motivation levels. And what they found was really surprising. So we asked unemployed people to give advice on how to get a job. We asked people who said that they are struggling with being angry to give advice on how to control your anger. Mm. People were more motivated by their own advice than by the (laughs) advice that we have given them, uh, which we thought was really interesting because it it suggested when, uh, when you just increase your confidence, when you just remind yourself of how much you know, okay, like you, you remind yourself that you're the expert and get confident as a result, then you're motivated to do something about it. Yeah, can we can we take in a, l- a little bit more into the mechanism that's at play here? I was in particular interested in, in people who are struggling. Okay? So the, mm-hmm. the people who, when I asked them to give advice, they started by saying, why would you ask me? Like, what do I know? Mm. Okay, they, obviously, I'm like, I don't know what they say. Why would you ask me about dieting? And, you know, I didn't have a conversation with most of them, but the people that I did have a conversation with, I was saying, you know, are, are you kidding me? Like, you know more than other people because you're struggling with this, okay? Like, y- you've learned, okay? You, you, you've been doing it now for, for a while. You, you tried things and, and maybe they didn't work. And, and so you, you learn, okay? Some things did work for you. You, you learn from those uh, uh, too. And it turned out that when people are willing to go beyond this first reaction of what do I know? Okay, obviously I'm not doing it very well. They realize that they have a lot of knowledge. Uh, This memory search brings to mind the things that they do know. Often it brings to mind the lessons that they learn from failures, but there is such an amazing knowledge that comes from trying something and realizing that it doesn't work. However, you need to think hard and Know, identify these lessons. So they, they find these lessons. A- and then the last thing that it does is just uh, build their confidence because, hey, I asked you for advice. I, I think that you are the expert, uh, you know. And when someone tells you that you are the expert, you feel like you know a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So so one antagonist for sustaining motivation um as we're trying to pursue our goals is uh, is failure, right? Are, are the setbacks that we face? And how can we think differently about about failure or or learn from failure so that we can we can stay the course? I'm so glad that you asked because I think that we both our passion is in uh, learning from uh, failure. Uh, my, <laughs> my son told me the other day that I'm the expert on failure. And I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he's, uh, hey, that's a great, that's a good compliment. I thought so. He's 10. And yeah. now when you realize that his mother knows something about failing. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it is really hard to learn from failure. It's unintuitive and uh it's just harder to learn what to do from what not to do. It's actually, it turns out that it's easier to learn from other people's failures. So in our task huh. where we we just have like, there are really usually just two options. There is a correct answer and there, there is an incorrect answer. And if you look at someone else choosing the incorrect answer, you do learn the correct answer more than if you yourself guess the incorrect answer. Is that because emotion and ego aren't clouding the situation? Exactly. Okay. 
Exactly, because if you chose the wrong answer, you, you're upset. Okay? And yeah. You're just busy with managing your emotions. When you look at me choosing the wrong answer, you're not upset. Okay? You're just learning. Okay? Of course, the problem is that we don't tend to share our failure with other people. So you might not know about all the, the ways in which I failed because I'm not telling you about it. Yeah. But, uh, uh, That's but your chance, Ayelet. You yeah, have a full right? platform. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to make you go down failure lane. No, but I love that. And it also shows that, you know, when we, when we, are, when we structure our lives around trying to achieve goals with others, it, it does create an open space for us to share failures and successes because you're getting exposure to other people's journeys day in and day out, right? I mean, if I have a running buddy in the very theoretical world in which I ran, I yell it, um, you know, I might see the days that they don't show up for running because they're having low motivation or, you know, you pull back the curtain and you get the unglamorous look into how other people are working to perceive their goals. I, I agree. And I would say that People do not share their failures, so it, it's yeah. not easy to get it uh, uh, from them. Okay, like we uh, we looked at it in many studies. Uh, to give you an example, we asked teachers to tell us one success story and one failure start story, and then anonymously share with another teacher the uh, one of these stories. Okay, so the story that you think has a better lesson. Okay, almost everyone shared the success story. Yeah. Wouldn't it be so great if the last three lines of your CV were all the things that you tried and sucked at or failed at, right? So it's like, ah, here's the highlights reel. But Maya never became the Bollywood dancer that she wanted to become when she was in high school. She never became the singer-songwriter that she wanted to become when she was in college, right? Because she had no aptitude for singing. And so it would be really wonderful to hear a slightly more unfiltered story from people about the broad range of things they've tried in their life and then have not succeeded at. Cannot uh, agree more. You know how everybody got accepted to their uh, amazing college? <laughs> I know. It's remarkable. We're at 100% hit rate. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that all these colleges tell us that they reject most candidates. I like, know. No one was ever rejected that I know, right? <laughs> I, I've never heard of someone rejected from college. Absolutely yeah. not. Myself <laughs> included. Because people are so hesitant to share their failures with one another, and because Ayelet knows there's so much we can learn from doing so, she's been on a mission to help encourage this behavior. As we wrapped up our conversation, she shared that someone reached out to her about an event where failure takes center stage. People are encouraged to shout from the rooftops about all the times they didn't get it right. People are talking about projects that they tried and, and, and failed or just personal uh, failures, just like going on a stage in front of uh, people and talking about what went wrong and trying to uh, understand what the lesson in it. Uh, the mm. person that started this uh, uh, trend uh, approached me and uh, told me that my research was part of the inspiration for uh, these nights and I felt very good about that. Hey, thanks for listening. On next week's episode, our season finale, we hear the story of a Theranos whistleblower, Erica Chung. Erica knew something was very wrong at the company, and even though she had a lot to lose by speaking out, she saw no other option. 
honestly, Maya, the idea of knowing what I knew and having not done anything and knowing that there was something that I could have done about it and I didn't do anything, like, that's the real prison. That's the real purgatory. A Slight Change of Plans is created, written, and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. The Slight Change family includes Tyler Green, our senior producer, Emily Rostek, our producer and fact checker, Jen Guerra, our senior editor, Ben Tolliday, our sound engineer, and Mia LaBelle, our executive producer. Luis Guerra wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith helped arrange the vocals. A Slight Change of Plans is a production of Pushkin Industries, so big thanks to everyone there including Nicole Morano, Maggie Taylor, Eric Sandler, Heather Fain, and Carly Migliori. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. How I became the expert of failure. So my, yeah. my son was struggling with his video game. Like he had like tears in his eyes. He was super frustrated. He felt like that's a challenge that he will never be able to, to do. And then he asked that I will come and sit next to him. And my daughter was saying, how about I sit next to you? I actually know something about video games. Like, Mom doesn't know anything. And he said that, uh, uh, that despite the fact that I am not very useful in terms of the knowledge that I have about video games, I'm the expert on failure. And he really prefers to fail next to me because I will make oh. him feel good. <laughs> Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com.